I feel like there's something in the water of being an indie hacker where you feel like you need to be really friendly. Like everyone's a community, everyone helps helps out. So people don't think about like having rivalries when that really is. I mean, if you take Danny's Danny and Peter's situation, like they aren't enemies. Like they're you know, there's no bad blood and they're you can rivalry, be a rival and be friendly. Like, you yeah, you can be a rival and be friendly. And, totally and then on, on top of all of that, there's also like, Cortland, you probably have seen like, I mean, I think I've counted no fewer than 10 individual posts on indie hackers complaining about copycats. Like people just have this, this idea that you're like, you can't copy. You can't like if someone yeah. else is doing something like that's their lane, you got to stay in your lane. And like, there's not, there's not, there's no bigger bullshit in the world of business than the idea that like, you can't have the same. It'd features. be like playing basketball and somebody steals the ball from you. And then you complain like, hey, that's not, that shouldn't be allowed. It's like, actually, that's like part of the rules of, of the game. Like one of the rules of business is that if somebody innovates, like you can do a similar innovation. Someone does a slam dunk and you're like, well, I can't do a slam dunk. Like that's yeah. Michael's move, you know? Like, yeah, I got to yeah. do the crossover. Like I can't do that same thing. Yeah. Speaking of Danny, Danny, what's up? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Hello. Thanks for joining. We we're just talking about you and uh, your sort of AI rival, Peter Levels. Do you think it's healthy to have a rivalry? Hey, what do you, what do you call it a rivalry? I wouldn't call it a rivalry because we've been in Telegram chats for 24 7s, just literally sharing all the information we had together when we launched the profile picture apps. And then on Twitter, we had like this little little rivalry, I guess. There it is. Um, for me, <laughs> but personally, for me, I gained, I went from 50K followers, 1.5 to 60 because Peter was tweeting about me all the time, right? So wow, yeah, it feels like we sick. had this little YouTube collaboration where some people put like another YouTuber on the video and then. Yeah, yeah. They, have like cross followings and stuff, so it, it yeah it really helped Boom. me out. A rivalry on the outside, and it's warm and fuzzy teddy bears on the inside. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's um, thirty seven signals and their book rework. They have a chapter called "Pick a Fight," and one of the things that they talk about is intentionally going out of your way to have a rival. And they have like one constraint for that. They say always punch up. Everybody loves an underdog. You never want to be the most popular person. Picking like somebody who is less, you know, far along to be your rival. And in a way, like, I think, like, like you said, like, I think Peter Levels is like over 100,000 followers on Twitter and you were at what, like 15. And so, like, because the two of you are rivals, like, oh, he's at 270. Geez, he's like blown it. He's way up there. He just kind of like brought you along with him, right? Like, you are like, in many people's eyes, probably the underdog. And so, like, at whatever point you can, like, Channing, who's our rival? We don't really have. You could rival with uh, with Sam and his what what is his company called again? Who is this? So he has like this oh, whole fancy. Oh, you need to pay uh, a shit yeah, ton of yeah, money. Yeah. You guys can do it for like the underdogs that can eventually yeah, like, move into yeah, yeah, Hampton his, his club. Yeah, Sam Park could be our rival. Like in a way, like why Combinator is like an aspirational rival. They used to just do funding, but now they're doing all this inspirational founder content. And they're doing point, content, man. They moved into our lane. They're on YouTube. They got their podcast. They got their blog. They're doing founder interviews. And so it's like, that's punching up for us. You know, if we're their rival and if they tweet about us or say anything back to us, like that helps us. So Danny, well, the reason you're uh, rivals with your level is because you're both doing these AI tools. I don't know how to describe you as an indie hacker. You've been working on a lot of stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. You had, I think, a seven-figure exit. You have been working with AI in particular for three years now, I think. I saw you tweeting about stuff like back in 2020. Uh, and now you've got like this suite of AI photo editing tools for a lack of a better word. Like the way that I would describe like your portfolio of apps is that they all pick some vertical, right? Photography is a probably $10, $100 billion industry. And it yep. looks like you've just gone down the list of like what makes a lot of money and photography headshots okay i'm doing an ai headshot thing like hiring models okay i'm doing ai modeling agency you don't need to hire models we'll create a model for you in ai and put that person's face all over your website team headshots got that unlocked like you're just going down the list of what makes money and doing it with ai i think peter is doing it all in one tool he's trying to make like the SaaS um one agency model and i'm trying to do all these mm. different verticals trying to do all the seo research and like what what yeah what you said <laughs> is like Headshots, team headshots, yeah. profile pictures, modeling, trying to figure out what is the next step on it. Because I can just use the same tech and I just have to make a new landing page, do some SEO keywords for that, and then just drop into that vertical and just keep repeating it. I'm actually planning on making one backend system so I don't have to rebuild that anymore. So you can just like snipe into one lane two weeks. And I think the great thing is 
I'm competing with the photo photographers. And I mean, they don't know how to develop, right? But you're also competing with other people like you and Peter. Like I did uh, kind of a Google search and it's not just like you and Peter, right? Even if, if I look for like AI headshot apps, there's Headshot Pro, which is you. There's Headshot mm -hmm. AI. There's Headshots by AI.com. There's like 15 others. So anyone who's actually searching for like, hey, I want Headshots by AI, which is probably like 1% of the population. Probably most people don't even <laughs> think that AI could do this right now. Uh, it's you versus a lot of people. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of competitors. Um, I'm doing quite well for some reason, I think. Probably because I have a high conversion rate. Uh, so I can outcompete them on Google Ads and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I think I'm lucky here because I, I built my own tech, my own models. So this is harder to copy because I've been spending like three, four weeks really coming up with my own AI, writing Python, training my own models. So this is not just like I'm going to hook up wow. to an API and then get the results out. Yeah. How well are you doing? I know on, on Headshot Pro, I looked and you said that you've got, you've got like the numbers literally on your website. And so mm -hmm. you say like, okay, you've got 10,000. You can reverse engineer it. Yeah, 10,423 yeah. happy customers paying $29 a person. And that's where your rates start. So some people are paying more than that. For example, if mm -hmm. you do headshots for your team, it's 40 bucks per person for your whole team, which is a pretty good deal compared to like a traditional photographer. Do you share your total revenue numbers or should I just do some math here? Yeah, I, I, I quit doing it uh, after I launched Headshot Pro because I felt, okay, A, it's going to get so many competitors and B, I feel mm. bad about sharing it right now. Just like these numbers are not that share friendly anymore. Right. Uh, but you can do, you can do the math. Yeah, sure. It's public. I feel like we're going to just do some <laughs> arithmetic real quick here. It's over $300,000. No, no public product. math though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got a calculator yeah. up. You've got other products too. It's not just Headshot Pro. So you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars in a very short period of time. Like these aren't, like when did you launch Headshot Pro? I think that's now five five weeks ago. Yeah, five right. weeks. Profile picture. Profile picture was November, so that's three five months. I mean, AI visual AI didn't exist six months ago. Yeah, it's crazy. And you have this tweet that I, I think encapsulates kind of the opportunity here because sometimes people get like upset. At, like one of like the most popular tweets that I see on Twitter nowadays is, "God, I've muted everything to do with AI. Everything is just a clone." Blah 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 <laughs> blah blah. People are so tired of seeing AI stuff. And then I look at you, and you're like. Killing it, made three hundred thousand dollars in the last five weeks. <laughs> and you, I, you think, just, I, I think I got lucky though, because I sold my company back in twenty twenty, right? And I got a non compete on GPT, Chat GPT, OpenAI. I cannot do that stuff for three years, so I'm like, wow, I'm forced to not do any of the fancy hyped stuff on Twitter that everyone's doing. So I need to find something else to do. So wait, wait, wait. So what exactly is your what exactly is your non compete? Like, what are you not allowed to do? I'm not allowed to do any text generation for three years, which ends next what? year. Yes. Wow. Damn. And this is because of your acquisition? Yeah, by The Jasper. company that you sold? So I sold my copyright generator to Jasper back in the days. And like, obviously, they don't want me to compete anymore because yeah, the, the founder said, like, you ship too fast. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's like severely handicapped you, but like you said constraints yep. creativity now you're dude i feel like that stuff. doesn't yeah i feel like that doesn't even handicap him because what that does if you have constraints then you end up doing things that are new and in this particular case we're in a situation where all you see today is basically chat gpt stuff you see a bunch of text generation all you saw five months ago was like image generation right mm -hmm. so because you're handcuffed from doing the thing that is like the hot thing that everyone is like constantly bored by, you have this like built in forcing function to like, okay, what else can I do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is like you move really fast, right? That's why this like company that acquired your last product doesn't want to compete with you. And guess what's also moving fast? Like the state of AI, things that were <laughs> cutting edge six months ago, nine months ago, now look like crap and they're yesterday's news. And if you're still doing that stuff, like you're behind. So you have to constantly innovate. And I think this is one of the reasons why people, especially sort of like the more stuffy, tried and true business theoretical crowd are like, oh, you know, you need to build a business that can last. But like, do you? Is there anything wrong with building a business that makes a bunch of money in a short period of time and then becomes obsolete, but by that time you're on to the next thing? Like, I see no problem doing that. And that might be the way the world is going considering the pace of technological advancement right now. 
like look at Linktree, for example. Like they, they are trying to build a sustainable product, right? And then yeah. last week, right. I think Instagram suddenly decided, hey guys, you can add five links and suddenly your sustainable <laughs> feature business is gone. Yeah, It's the same with uh, TikTok. TikTok just added the avatars that did with profile pictures. So if I was yeah. building profile pictures as a sustainable business, it's still sustainable, right? But if you build on a hype and if you build on a feature, like you want to get the cash out as soon as possible, right? Because someone that ships slower than you six months down the drain that has like a mass audience, they're just gonna they're just gonna take your audience. Um, the incumbents. My sales are already down. Like you can already notice it. So, all these huge companies employ tens of thousands of really smart programmers, and they are getting better and better at building things quickly. And like mm-hmm. you said, if you don't release, you know, capture as much money as you can now, like okay, maybe they move slower than you. Maybe it takes them six months to get to where you are, but like then they have the distribution advantage. And it turns out that having a distribution advantage is worth more than six months. <laughs> You know, like they could way more It's worth so much. And so you've got to build like super fast. So I like what you're doing. I mean, there's haters. There's people who say like, okay, these businesses aren't going to last. They're just clones of each other. I guess it depends on your personality type, right? Like I I have this little ADD personality type where after three months, I'm absolutely bored with a product. I don't want to work on it anymore. Like I don't even want to touch it. So for me, it's perfect. Uh, But for other people, if you're, if you like, if you like more slowly building, getting out, getting like a stable, stable life, you have children, whatever, then like probably you absolutely hate this because you can build any stability on top of it. Right. If you didn't bring up the ADHD thing, I was looking at your your list of products here. I'm like, I'm just like go, scrolling through. You've got like Parody Bar discontinued, headline acquired, like Rare Blocks discontinued, this one 2021, this one 2023. And I'm like, this is a timeline of your products, but it's also like a timeline of like your mental focus and like like the shiny objects. Yeah, postcrafts.com, 19 different products. 19 yeah. indie startups by Danny Post. Oh, it's 19. Dang, Jesus. Thought it was less. <laughs> you're not just shipping products. You're shipping products, and then you're tweeting about it. You're talking about your revenue. You're talking about your decisions. You're talking about the disputes you're dealing with the customers. Like you're doing all the juicy behind the scenes stuff that makes people want to follow along, because it's just far more interesting to like to follow somebody like you than somebody who doesn't who doesn't ever tweet. About for me, what they do. for me, it's for me, it's also diary because I read back tweets I did a year ago if I needed to solve something because I remember I had the same issue at that time and I would be reading it back and then like I'm kind of also doing it for myself. Just to as like cross referencing, I like this this sort of like twelve startups in twelve months approach. Also, mm-hmm. something that like Peter came up with a long time ago, where you basically say, "Screw trying to work on one thing. I'm going to do a ton of things in the course of a year. I'm going to learn a lot, and I'm going to see what sticks." You said you built like you know a dozen products or tons of products in 2020. What were they, and, and what stuck? So the first one was Lending Folio, which I did for four years, which is an inspiration gallery. After that, I took a little feature from that website and turned it into uh, a drag and drop inspiration builder. So you could make a landing page based on examples of other websites. So that was another one. So I'd like to keep, like take a little feature of another product right. and mm-hmm. then iterate on top of it. How much money did these products make? 2K tops, I think, per month. Inspire frame, maybe okay. 400 at the time. Not nothing. Like mm. Enough to survive if you're living in like Bali, but yeah. not what you're hoping <laughs> for. Yeah, for many, many years. Right. <laughs> For a long time. Okay. Yeah, and then I then I got lucky with the with the headline. Is it yeah, so that's or... like your fifth your fifth product on your on your list. This is the one that got acquired yeah. and started in twenty twenty and it was an AI based copywriting thing. The headline yeah. on the the website now says writing copy has never been easier. The automated copywriter for busy designers, anti hackers, marketing agencies, business owners. How did you come up with an idea that you were able to sell? Also, let me let me point out something that I that I noticed before you even say that. Like there were four products that happened before that. You know, you had the landing page design, you have this pop-up library for JavaScript, you have mock-ups. So you have all of these basically like um, these products that have to do with just basically sort of helping people code. And then boom, you just have AI. And then that's the one that yeah. got acquired. So and there is a really nice bridge going from that programming to the to the actual AI content. So mm. On Landing Folio, I have marketers coming there. So we wrote an ebook with headline uh, templates because that's the hardest way to come up for the landing page. So we sold an ebook with copies like um, get blank in blank hours. And then people could mm. fill in the variables in the ebook. And then right. I was thinking, okay, I just learned to program. I was like, you can sell an ebook for $19, $19, right? Like not much. Mm-hmm. But if you sell a SaaS tool, you can suddenly increase the price over that. So I was like, maybe if I could tell, like if I could put those templates into a SaaS tool and you can sell it for $89. So that one exploded. Uh, when I sold it, I got like 60K revenue, I think, in two weeks. That was my first example. Wow. Like, and that was Pushfolio, right? 
No, there was um, there was a headline actually before it went AI. Oh, okay. Wow. Headline so pre AI. Pre AI. So I was working on that product, and then a friend of mine he showed me GPT three, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna DM, I'm gonna email Greg, the CTO of OpenAI. Can I get access?" So I got access as like one of the first batch, and I let it write the templates for my SaaS for headline with AI. And I was like, "Wait, oh, that's awesome! Wait, this fucking AI <laughs> can write copy for me. What if I turn this tool into a copywriting tool instead of just using templates?" Right. So I was lucky to be working on a copywriting tool by accident when a copywriting mm. AI came out. Wow. I think I have a screenshot that I'm one of the first people to go live with GPT-3 actually in production together with copy.ai and three tools at the same time. Copy.ai mm. is valued at whatever, hundreds of millions of dollars now. I interviewed somebody back in the day who was doing uh, AI copywriting and I've never gotten so many negative responses to an interview that I've done. People hated that guy. They were so upset. People don't like low quality content. They don't like spam Mm -hmm. content. And I think the idea, and this is back in 2020, the idea that like we might be heading toward a world where the internet (laughs) is just gunked up with nothing but low quality AI spam content and people are creating Mm -hmm. this at the click of a button, just like enraged a lot of people who are listening. The full circle on that is that the first AI feature that we built for indie hackers was your like AI spam, you know, blocker, spam moderator that is like going in and zapping, you know, members of its oh, own yeah, race, yeah. basically We're people who are AI doing like AI spam on the AI. hackers forum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this guy, like, so, so like the fears weren't exactly completely unfounded. I just want to say that. Yeah. Well, back in 2020, this was like, it was, it was a very different landscape. Nobody knew this was possible. And Danny, you said you just happened to be doing a copywriting tool at the same time that AI came out that could write copy. How did you get it into the hands of people? Because like, I mean, I imagine at this time you had like five followers on Twitter. Nobody knew who you were. You know, you didn't have a giant email list. Like how did anybody even find out about Headline? I think I got lucky that same with Headshot Pro and Provo Picture. Like it is so novelty. Like it's so new that it's, it's, it's mm. magic to people. So I was just tweeting out tweets, like using the tool. And it was new to people. I had 200 followers back in the day, I think. And people just started retweeting it. People went mental over there. They were like, what the mm. fuck's going on? This, this, this tool is writing copy? Like, what? Because we live in a bubble, right? It's yeah. like the yep. 0.1% bubble. But once you go outside a little bit of it, like it's magic to people. It was magic to me. I was like so amazed by it. So I grew from, I think, 200 followers in that day to 10K before I sold Headline, wow. I guess. And that was the only marketing I did. Only on Twitter, just word of mouth. Uh, mm. That's how I grew to 25k MRR before I sold it. Yeah, wow. it was only only word of mouth. Um, no SEO, no marketing, uh, just Twitter. Just Twitter. But I feel like Twitter is like, if you are a an indie hacker, if you're you know sort of a small um, you know st- startup founder, like that's yeah. that's where we hang out. Like that's that's like your people, our people. But I want to say one thing about you being to say at the right place at the is right where time. We hang out, Channing. So IndieHackers.com. But what I was going to say is like, dude, it's, it's so easy to sort of see the narrative as you were doing the right kind of product at the right time. And like, you know, the, the wind was in the air and it just so happened to be that, you know, the AI stuff, um, you know, became an option. But like, dude, you did something in that story that like, you know, 999 out of a thousand people would not do, which is you heard about it and you were like, oh, this thing is sick. I'm going to just reach out to the founder and like, you know, ask for favors, right? Like that is not a really, that's not a, that's not a minor play that you made, right? Number one, you noticed that this thing was, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is like, you had the balls or whatever, right? What, what, I don't like, you know, most people don't even think of that as an option. Like I'm just going to reach out to the guy who made this at the very top. And then, but for that decision, none of this would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy how many little, like little small life decisions escalate into like something big in your life, to be honest. There's also like this piece of advice that's super common, which is like, don't build a solution in search of a problem. This is like foundational startup wisdom that has been around for like, it's been said for like 30 years. Like, it's the most stereotypical thing in the world to be just a tech nerd or someone who loves, like somebody with ADHD who just loves fitting about and a new opportunity comes along and you're like, oh, how do I take this, you know, crypto, AI, whatever thing and just like slap it onto something that exists. And most (laughs) people say, don't do that. But there are times when that is like absolutely the right thing to do. When the new technology, I think, is so revolutionary that 
like when it comes out, if you just apply it to existing problems, it makes them 10 times better than the previous solutions. And like, that's exactly what you did. So it makes me kind of skeptical of some of this advice that's like tried and true advice when there's such clear exceptions. Uh, same thing with the, like the birth of the internet, right? Anyone who didn't slap the internet onto their newspaper in the 90s, like their newspaper is dead. They did not make it. <laughs> and so sometimes like you just like, I, I kind of feel like we're in that moment right now with AI where it's like, hey, this is like so foundationally different and better than hiring a bunch of people to do things manually. If like with this keystroke, yeah, you could do thing. it automatically. Like it's easy to be a curmudgeon and be like, no, it's just a trend. It's just a trend. It's just a fad. It's not, it's not just a fad. Like it's seriously good. The crazy thing I realized, and I haven't been able to put it in words, but AI can, like you can go into industries that normally take so much human labor and you can basically mm -hmm. just, as a one-person business, and this is why I think this is a golden time for indie hackers, like the photo studio, for example. I'm competing with people who probably have, and it's also a negative thing, right? But it's positive for the consumer because no one wants to take headshots or right, pay $500 totally. worth it. Like, so I see it as like, I do it for the customers. I can basically, by myself, scale unlimited times if I have the GPU power and just mm -hmm. do photography by myself because I have an AI that's just doing the work for me. I have all these job works, all these other AIs filtering, blah, 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 blah. The only thing I need to manually do is, yeah, do the programming and the customer support. And thank God for my wife who helps me out with that because that's a lot right. of work. And if you apply AI to solving real problems that are done by real humans, I think there's a lot of markets you can get into in that way. Yeah. Channing hinted at this a second ago. So we've had like a spam problem on indie hackers forever. And a lot of the people who are spammers, like it's not just robots, it's actual people sometimes yep. who come on and I'll implement spam fighting stuff, you know, add a captcha or I'll change like all the classes in my CSS so like the robots can't find it and people just figure it out and they just do it differently. I'll ban certain words. They'll just start using different words. If I ban links, they start putting a space in front of the .com. They try everything, right? It's like real people fighting. And two or three weeks ago, I was like, okay, should we hire another community moderator? It's expensive. It's hard to manage a community mm -hmm. moderator. You don't really necessarily want to outsource all the community work to somebody else. So we should really be doing a lot of this ourselves. Um, but, it, you know, mostly it's just expensive. We're independent now. We can't afford that kind of thing. And Congratulations, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. It's nice to, yeah, it's nice to be indie. So I'm like, okay, well, what can I do? Well, I could just take a solution that exists, AI, and just like slap it onto this problem and say, okay, well, what can, like, what can GPT-4 do? And so in the span of like a couple days, I just played around with GPT-4. And it wasn't really even a couple days. It was like a few hours. And now I have a spam fighting bot who is just like dispensing justice on the forum. I call him Botman. And he will message me in Telegram every time he sees a spammer. He will give them a spam score from zero to one. He'll give me a confidence score. How confident is he from zero to one? He will give me a reason and actual pros. He'll tell me, oh, this person, yeah. their account is really new and it seems That's like crazy. this, blah, blah, blah. And I think this is definitely a spammer. And I just set him today to auto ban. And dude, so, I think it's all, I think it's like all hits and no misses. No, like, I've, I've just been, been checking it for two weeks. He is never, it is never wrong. It is right every single time. Every time it finds it's all hits. Did you just, did you just train like a really long, long text in ChatGPT where you put like examples <laughs> inside and then it learns from it? Or yep. are you using like a factor database and it finds like the distance? From I'm it doing it's the stuff. simplest, dumbest few shot learning in GPT 4. <laughs> I've I given it like, it like 10 examples. And GPT 4's context is like, how many tokens is it? It's like 12,000 or some crazy amount of tokens, which Channing got. Token is basically like three or four letters. And so it can yep. handle a gigantic wall of text of examples. Plus, it's already been trained on basically the entire internet. So it knows mm -hmm. what spam is. It knows like what moderating a forum is. And it's like, okay, well, that just like wiped out the job of like policing spam on the forum. Yeah. I not only don't have to hire yeah. anyone, but I also don't need to go like pay some other business that's gigantic. built a tool. Like people have pitched me tools for this for years. Hey, we've got some mm -hmm. spam fighting algorithms we train. Sorry, GPT 4 is better than <laughs> everything you've been working on for years and i just rigged it up in like an afternoon like i'm gonna do this it's basically free goodbye right and it's like entertaining i could tell it to be funny i could tell it to be humorous it'll send me interesting funny messages and then ban the spammers mm -hmm. and so it's like i don't i don't see how people can look at this technology and say like this is a passing fad just like crypto or something like, i know it's it's not like that's like head in the There's sand so much more use case to, to it like this is not a fad this is this is completely industry changing, I think, even for the better and for the worse, right? Like, yeah. To me, I think that the sign of it is like 
I said this a few weeks ago, where it's like the difference between, you know, you feeling like there might be an opportunity, like there's a new technology and you're like, oh, there's an opportunity. Maybe we should do some like R&D and like maybe there's something there. But this is not, it doesn't feel like an opportunity. We got that spam fighting bot going. And now I'm almost like, dude, it's a liability that like there's almost certainly other parts of our stack, whether it's our technology stack or like our process stack, like how we do things where we're currently wasting tons of time. And like, I'm almost like, I want to like, you know, sort of do this. Like an audit, like an internal audit. Like what are we doing? What are we doing manually that we should be using AI for? Not just like as a distraction to mess around, but as like a real time-saving technique. Like we can't afford not to do that. And the amazing thing is like it, you, you don't have to code anymore. Like what OpenAI did basically is they, they turned the written English word or whatever word into a programming language. So anyone can. Mm -hmm. It's like some people listening to this podcast are probably like, yeah, you know, these guys are all programmers, only they can do it. Like, no, man, exactly. you can just yeah. send text to it, tell it what to do, and it sends you text back. And if you tell it to send it back, as like a one or a zero or a true or a false. Like this is spam, yes or no. And you can just yeah. read it out. Like you don't need to know program. So I think people don't like fully comprehend what you're saying. Because this is something that I was telling my friend about when I was coding my spam bot. Like, oh, you're coding this thing. I'm like, I'm literally writing text. <laughs> is what yeah. I mean. Like there's some, <laughs> there's some code involved, right? Like, like if I tried to fight spam a year ago or a month ago, I would be like doing nothing but coding. Now I wrote a tiny amount of code that basically just says like, hey, ban this person. But the vast majority of what I'm doing is tweaking a single sentence that says, you are a forum moderator for the indie hackers community. You're reviewing comments yeah. made by users yeah. on the forum and assigning a spam score ranging from zero to one. Zero means it's unlikely to be spam. One means it's very likely to be spam. Blah, blah, blah. I just keep writing all this stuff and I end up with like a couple paragraphs of instructions and then it does it. So yep. like coding is literally me just giving instructions as if I was talking to a human. It's like the highest level of abstraction of no code. It's like no code with just like, okay, the, the, the interface for coding here, the syntax is, do you know English? Okay, so just like use English and then talk to it. <laughs> like yeah. that's the so, syntax for this So code. does your computer, <laughs> it turns out. If, if you think about it, like programming is like, it's such a bug. Like why would we have to talk in a way that a computer understands if we made a computer? Like we should just be able right. to write in English to a computer. Yeah. And that's getting possible now. So everyone well, is becoming a programmer. I guess people hate that. that I know. Able to do and by the way, I, by the way, I've seen this in practice. So Cortland, I told uh, Dave, a buddy of ours that works at Lyft, um, I, like I share all this stuff with him. I share all like the tech, the new tech stuff. Um, maybe he's so interested because he works at Lyft and like jobs are getting sliced left and right at these kind of companies. So he's like looking at, looking for his escape hatch. But um, the first thing that he said when I showed him our bot was he was like, he said two things. He goes, Number one, that's awesome. And then number two, bummer, like it's pointless for me to know about this. I'm not a developer. So I guess I'll just wait three years until, you know, somehow I can do something like this. Um, and I'm like, dude, no, like, you know, there are some limitations. You have to be a little bit technical for some some aspects of this. But like, you really should look into tools and ways that you can uh, implement these kinds of things with your own workflows. And uh, I don't know if you listen to... Uh, the All In podcast, but it's got a few investors on it. And one of them is Jason Calacanis. And like the next day, there was an episode where Jason Calacanis, who's not really a developer, um, he, he was a podcast host, was like, oh, what I do these days is I have my, like, whenever I open a new tab in my browser, it is set to go to auto GPT. Like, it, I'm sort of creating this forcing function where I automatically just have to sort of go through AutoGPT. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm constantly like reminding myself like, oh, this thing, could that be done better with AutoGPT? Could this be done better with AutoGPT? And it just sort of, he's like, I'm just training myself because no matter what, the thing I just said, like that idea that like 100%, there are liabilities in the way that you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, like some AI tool or feature could do it better. There's all sorts of apps that are basically like glue. So the no-code community has been really into apps like Zapier for years and years and years and years. And it's like you can't code, but you need, you know, your Gmail to talk to your Telegram, to talk to Slack, to talk to, you know, Google Docs or something. Okay, whenever I get a new email that is this subject, you know, send me this message in Telegram. You could hook that up without code in like five seconds with Zapier, right? And now all these apps are adding chat GPT and AI. So, you know, if I like type this query in, have it, you know, go here. So you really really don't need to learn how to code like it's if you know the right apps you could just sign up and, and start like hooking stuff up everyone should spend like probably take a few days off and just try to automate some of their most repetitive things in their life and yeah. they will just save so much more time i, I, I want to talk about 
like I want to so much I want to talk to you about like what are you automating in your life? But like first I want to finish the story about headline because you started it, it blew up, it's making money. It's just like let's <laughs> get the story nice out of the way. D- we did how a did, really big detour, yeah. Huge detour. Uh how did you sell it? And how much money did you make from selling it? Because like, Twitter, dude, this is all Twitter again. I I, I get reached out by uh, so the guys of Jasper.ai and Unbounce, Unbounce.com, the landing page builder. Uh, they both reached out via Twitter. Dave from Jasper was just like super upfront. Like you just said, like, <laughs> yeah, I want to buy you guys. And they were a team of three people. So I was hopping on calls with them to talk about it. They just dropped a number. I was like, double it. And they were like, okay. So we just started negotiating. This was like super wow. fast. And I was getting burned out because I was doing customer support, development, marketing, everything myself. Mm. Like I was I was done. I was talking with my wife about it. And she was like, just just sell it, dude. Get rid of so it. So I was also entertaining offers from Unbounce, but they were they are like they this obviously massive corporation. So you have to go through procurement. They mm. have to wait two weeks to set up a meeting with the whole right. board. And I was like, Yeah, I have like an offer here. I should just go yeah. through it. They, just I, go. I told them I don't want to work for them. They were like, after two weeks, if you do the program, like the develop, like the switch over, you're done with us. Mm-hmm. Cool. They asked me for equity. I was like, nah, I don't need it. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, and then and yeah, it, I think it went through in oh, four weeks. I got thirty three percent of the money in the bank, sixty six percent over twelve months. Yeah. Two weeks in, I was done. I was getting depressed afterwards because I went from working 16 hours a day to nothing. I had nothing anymore. Right. Yeah. It was it was yeah. odd. A lot of people think they're going to quit and retire and go live on a beach. Uh, but it's just like this grass is greener thing. Like, when you go from being somebody who does stuff constantly to being somebody it's like, when well, you got money, but you're doing nothing. Uh, the number one thing you want to do is start doing stuff again. Well, but if your personality is built around you learning and doing things and suddenly you exactly. don't have anything like that, like your yeah, whole exactly. your whole purpose in life, you're like, you're doing like, mm-hmm. what is my purpose in life? Yeah, was it doing to sell nothing. your company and make money and then do nothing? Like, yeah, clearly not. So what's going to happen? Right. Let's talk about, let's talk about this AI stuff because like, I'm thinking like, like, it just feels like there's a huge elephant in the room where like half the stuff I build or consider building now, I'm like, but isn't AI just going to make this obsolete mm-hmm. like in six months? Like we're building, uh, landing pages for indie hackers like basically a little profile and it's like why would anybody ever use my website builder if six months from now or literally last week or two months ago they could find some ai tool that will build them a landing page and they you just gotta have to build type ai it. into it right it's like we have to sort yeah. of upgrade our stuff like yeah. we have to or we're just gonna be toast and it's like it's so hard to like wrap my mind around that like to some degree i feel like a dinosaur I'm like, no, the old way of doing things is still here. And the tried and true business fundamentals still apply. But like the technologist in me is like, no, it's it's all different, right? Like even like just things in my life. Like I want to spend a weekend just building an AI assistant for my own life. Mm-hmm. I want it to text me. I want it to email me. I want it to call me. I want it to remind me. I want it to ask me questions about what I'm doing and then think and then tell me what I should do. A year ago, this would have been extremely difficult to like conceive of how it could even be like, would be huge, require a huge team to do something, right? Well, now it's like, I can hook this up this weekend myself. And like, I don't need a friend or a colleague or an expensive coach to motivate me or ask me what's going on. Like AI can do it extremely reliably. It's the age of the entrepreneur, right? It's like every repetitive job, everything that can be automated will be automated, right? So what, what stays? Right. And I think it's like the creativity in launching businesses, like, Good luck trying to get that away with AI. I don't think I, yeah. you can automate like, and this is why I love AI. Like, I don't like to do all these manual, boring stuff. I don't want to make my own landing pages. I don't write, want to write my own copy. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to build businesses, automate it, and move on to the next one. So I think that's why, like, as an entrepreneur, as an indie hacker, it's going to be an amazing time. Agreed. But like, if you do a repetitive job, like financials, yeah, uh, I think EBM just announced that they're going to fire ten percent of their staff. And they said it's because of the AI. back office. Yeah. Because Which of AI. I don't believe. Like, I don't think it's really because of AI. I think that they needed to do layoffs and they're just... They I'm so curious what's going to happen to the S&P. Like we're going into a recession, but all these companies just probably going to save so much money in this. Like what is it going to do to the economy in like a stock market versus normal people way? And I think crazy. like we we are enthusiastic about it, right? Like, but yeah, if you have a an old job, yeah, I understand why you hate it. 
So there's this kind of hilarious book by this. I think he was like an anthropologist. He just died a couple of years ago. Whatever, cognitive scientist. And it's called Bullshit Jobs. And he's very like left wing. So he's not coming at this from a perspective of like, you know, caring a lot about certain economic developments. He really is just looking at our society and he's like, hey, like capitalism creates a bunch of jobs that are that are horseshit. They're like, that, that aren't very meaningful, et cetera. Um, and it pre- his list of the, the jobs, I'll uh, name a couple of them in a second, are the exact kinds of jobs that I think are in a lot of danger from AI. And it makes me feel like there's going to be a lot of short-term pain and, you know, sort of a lot of job security is going to be gone. There's, you know, this is going to be a very unstable place but like in the long term these types of jobs like repetitive jobs aren't the ones that i really imagine being that much love lost for this book says over half of societal work is pointless and becomes psychologically (laughs) destructive when paired with a work ethic that associates work with self-worth and so like that's like i'm just looking this up now i haven't read this book but like Mm -hmm. his thesis of his book is that half the jobs we already have we shouldn't even have. And then he has a list of like, okay, why? Like, what are these crappy jobs? And so, yeah. And, and for context, this is like 2018. So this wasn't, you know, he didn't see, like, he might have seen AI on the horizon, but like, you know, he hadn't heard the term GPT before. So flunkies, right? People that serve to make their superiors feel important. Goons who act to harm or deceive others on behalf of their employer. For example, lobbyists, corporate lawyers, telemarketers, duct tapers who temporarily fix problems that could be fixed permanently. Programmers repairing shoddy code, airline desk staff who calm passengers whose bags do not arrive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and when I look at this list, I'm just like, oh, that that is just the like the you know the first on the the victims that are going to get lined up against the wall from AI. I disagree. And it's like looking at this okay. list, like I don't like. I think the things that he's saying are useless jobs are actually the jobs that are the safest. The reason why is because a lot of the jobs that he's saying are useless are jobs that have to do with people's emotional state, right? Like you lose your, your bags at the airline. You feel stressed. You feel worried. You're not sure if you're going to get it back. People will pay money to feel better, right? Or like flunkies. He said that being a receptionist or being a door attendant or a store greeter, they just serve to make other people feel important. People will pay money to feel important and feel good. Like I mean, like there's some stuff in the AI landscape, like Replica, like have an AI friend that you can talk to. That is making some people feel good. But I think that generally speaking, for a while, people are mostly going to rely on other people to feel good. And that's something AI is not going to be able to do, even when it can do everything else. Which it yeah. seems like I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure if an AI is going to be nice to you and like tell you, oh, your bag will be back, like people would fucking hate it to be calmed yeah. by an AI in such, <laughs> such a position. I guess anyone who doesn't have a startup idea, they, they should get this book and just browse through it and be like, hmm, which one of these can <laughs> I just like get a little piece of the pie on and automate out of it? What are, what are you doing for yourself? Do you have any like behind the scenes, Danny Postma AI tools that are making you more efficient and allowing you not to do repetitive tasks? Mostly just rewriting my tweets, rewriting my content because I'm, I'm, I'm not mm. native English and I'm horrible right. in writing cohesion synthesis for some reason. <laughs> so I will just write garbage in like just do a brain fart of like 500 words for my tweet put it in typefully <laughs> shout out to typefully.com tell the ai to rewrite it in a cohesive way and then if the uh, ai doesn't understand what i say i know okay like if the ai doesn't understand what i say <laughs> no one is going to understand what i say then yeah. i tell it to summarize it and then i tell it to make it a little bit more poppy and then i edit it for like 10 minutes so mostly those kind of things we should be doing this on Andy Hacker Shanning because like we have a site where essentially people have to come in and write a lot. They have to write posts, they have to write updates, they have to write comments. We should be helping them write better content with I bet Microacquire already does this, for example. If you if you go to microacquire.com, like I think all mm-hmm. their posts are written in the same way. I wouldn't be surprised if they have Yeah. They just put all this content in and then have an AI to generate it for them and then probably like one reviewer mm. that makes some manual changes towards it. Yeah. <laughs> I did this for I did this for headline back in the day. Like the first customers, they told me the, the output was garbage. And you just look at the input and it's like, yeah, you input mm. garbage. Like input <laughs> garbage in whoever tied. It's the same with the same with Headshot yeah, yeah. Pro right now. Like we refund 20% of the people because they upload garbage. So for headline, I was actually rewriting their inputs in the backend without them seeing it just to make it better. So like yeah. stuff like that is yeah. Well, this is one of the things that's like already getting better. Like the difference between GPT 3.5. So GPT is like, you know, OpenAI's family of like text-based AIs. And you can use chat GPT to interface with it, or you can use the API. But like as technology gets better, 
you don't have to be as good of a prompt whiz kid. Like right now, like the people who are the best right. at using AI are just really good at understanding like how the AI thinks and what kinds of things they should put in their prompt and their questions and their conversations with the AI to get it to do what they want. But like as it gets smarter, like it gets more and more human-esque. Like you could imagine five or ten years from now, maybe even a year from now, like you could write absolute garbage. <clears throat> Midjourney does it right now. You can just type in and Midjourney mm. actually optimizes your prompt and adds all the specification to it so the AI better understands what you mean. Boom. There um, it is. So yeah. 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 Are you guys using any tools I should know of? Because it's actually quite stupid. I only use one AI tool on that. It's hard. It. It's hard because I think like being a builder and being an indie hacker, like I would mm -hmm. always get stuck in these like creative black holes where I would just be spending so much of my time creating that I would just get really behind on like using. Right. Right. And I think I see like like Peter Levels is like this too. He's like, I'm using PHP, blah, 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 blah. He's like, he doesn't care how his code looks, right? He's just like trying to create stuff. He's not trying to be like up to date with the latest technology and build systems and whatever as an engineer. And I feel like that too as an Eddie hacker. I'm like, I'm trying to like create value for other people. So I'm not like sitting around like, you know, licking my finger and sticking it in the air and like trying to figure out what toys I should be playing with. Like I'm building. And that's kind of how you are too. But like in a way, it's like we kind of need to strike this balance between like becoming more efficient builders and continuing to build. I would say that that is something that like basically sort of, you know, what balance do you strike between like building in the ways that you know and exploring, right? Like basically sort of having almost like a skunk works built into your own like way of working. Basically what you should do is you should look at the times. I think three or four years ago, Hey, you know, this is the big, you know, the, the crypto wave is coming. I think that, you know, so, some of the other waves that have come, no code, et cetera. I think you can kind of poke your head out of the hole and go, ah, that's, that's not really for me, right? That's not revolutionary. It's not a huge change. I don't necessarily need to divide my time away from the things that I know are working and that I know None I'm of building. those like made you more productive. Maybe, maybe the creator economy thing or it's like, oh, hey, you can make money uh, without writing any code. You could just basically like show your work, build in public, you know, like have an additional revenue channel like that's lighter weight than building like a full like fledged SaaS app. Maybe like that was mm -hmm. like, it's not really making you more productive. It's just like, oh, it's, there's easier ways to make money. But now it's like, oh, like the new sort of technological wave is actually making you more productive. To me, it's AI and then the gig economy. The gig economy, like, you know, it becomes way easier, for example, to like quickly hire a contractor or quickly get someone to like whip you up a, a quick design, like a quick logo. Right. Uh, that kind of thing. It's like, hey, you need to like jump on that bus, right? Like, you know, take a long weekend and just figure this out because it's going to, I don't know, that was, you know, 0.3x your productivity. Now AI is here and it's like, dude, you might 0.5, you know, 1x, 2x your productivity, right? Easily. I wonder when someone is going to launch Fiverr with an extra A in his site, where Fiverr, like AI mm. Fiverr, and it's just going <laughs> to get all the jobs that are listed on their copywriting, checking, translating. It's basically just going to have the same UI on it, have the gig work, but done by an AI, so it doesn't right. even feel like an AI is doing it anymore. I've seen at least five or six AI landing page generator tools out there yeah. right now, right? It's like people are already doing this. 100%, by the way. When this when this episode ends, I'll give it two days, and then there's going to be someone who launches, and it's going to be called Warner because Fiverr is about five dollars. Now there's going to be an AI tool. It's going to be five <laughs> times you know less the operating cost, and yeah. they're going to call it Warner. But I think that's what people are doing wrong. For example, uh, a friend of mine, Mark, uh, they have this landing page generator, but they priced it at nineteen dollars. But you need to understand, like you are removing the value of a landing page designer that's five thousand dollars like you don't have to price it cheap just because it is cheap like for headshot pro for example like it cost me a few dollars to do it but i'm not going to price it at ten dollars because you're competing exactly. with a photo shoot right and as long as they're not competitors and you're not going like as you as long as you're like a fancy tool and you know what content you're doing and you're good like you can charge a high price now while it's still new like probably in five years yeah this doesn't work anymore but for now be expensive man Dude, this is the exact this is the exact point. This is the callback to the point about the benefit of being fast. I mean, look, if the ultimate cost of like, you know, sort of whatever it is, right? A, a, a headshot um, builder for AI or whatever is, you know, say it's like, you know, a 0.5, you know, or, or it's five times less expensive to create it. Look, in the fullness of time, a bunch of competitors are going to like, you know, sort of enter into the space and uh, and drive down the cost. But if you're fast, then the pricing theory just becomes right? The, what's the alternative to this, right? What, what is the incumbent or whatever it is? This is what Peter, this, what, what Peter did when he launched uh, the Avatar AI. He, he charged $50 and he was the only one doing it. So 
he could just charge whatever the fuck he wants because everyone wants to use it. And then gradually I came in, we had to like lower a little bit of the price. And then, of course, Lenza came out and we had to slash our price to 80% down. I think we were at $40 and we had to go down to 10 bucks, 7 bucks. But most of our revenue, I think Peter got like 90% of his revenue in the first weeks because he could charge so much money. And then everyone had to go down. So yeah, this is it's coming back again to your point and what I said. Like, if it's a hype, get the most money out immediately because you can. You can. You're not you can sure charge that. Last. There's yeah. so many reasons. Like right now, the best strategy is to have small products that you move fast with. Because number one, you have no idea when you're going to be disrupted. These incumbents might come back, come by, and crush you. And whatever money you were able to make for six weeks or six months, like that's now gone. You might be disrupted not only by incumbents, but by technology itself what you're building might become completely obsolete. Like one of the things I see right now that's happening is everybody's kind of taking existing applications and slapping AI on top of it and getting like this 5X boost of like, hey, this is like five times better than what I had in the past, which is awesome. But like, okay, we're still waiting for the wave of companies to come that are building products from the ground up with this AI in mind. And that's going to be much better. Like a community forum, for example, that helps you occasionally you know, use AI or like a, a social product like Twitter that helps you occasionally use AI to like write better tweets, it's not going to be as good as a social network that was built from the ground up with AI in mind. And that stuff is coming, right? Like that stuff's going to stand the test of time. And then that's going to lead to another second order effect where a world full of all these AI products is going to create a whole bunch of new problems that we can't even imagine right now mm-hmm. that are hard to imagine. And there's going to be startups mm-hmm. that solve those problems. And so like if you're building something that's going to take 10 years or five years to slowly come to fruition, <laughs> Like I think you're dead. Yeah, this is this is why as indie hacker, I think don't 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 compete with the big the big companies. Like I see so many people, I, I made the same mistake. Like I the first AI thing I made was like a stock photo AI stock photo website, but yeah. it's fucking mm. dumb because Adobe has all the photos and libraries. Yeah. Like, why would I compete <laughs> yeah. with it? You have three months of time, and yep. then That's someone it. else will come out. And I see other people like they make this uh, AI generator where you can generate pictures it's like an editor but adobe just mm-hmm. launched the firefly thing and you're you're done for like there's yeah. no way you can compete with it like you should yeah. find a niche ship really fast in that niche because like uh, a big company is not going to outcompete a niche in nope. that sense nope it's not worth it to them and i think this raises an interesting question which is like every time there's a technological shift some percentage of it goes to the incumbents the big players some percentage of it goes to you know the startups and some percentage of it goes like even a level below like, like, like the indie hackers. Like I'm just trying to make mm. some money online right now, right? Like with something like crypto, for example, the incumbents didn't very, make very much money from crypto. All the biggest crypto companies were kind of startups um, because they moved really fast and it was like kind of niche enough that big companies were like, I don't know about this. Whereas something like mobile, for example, all the incumbents took all the money, right? Like Apple and Google created the phones. Every big website made its own mobile app. And like very few startups like got in there and disrupted things. I'm curious what it's going to be like with AI. Like you were saying, like Adobe, like they can just slap AI into Photoshop and have a giant gallery of images and AI effects and they're just going to kill everything because everybody already has Photoshop. But from the bottom up, indie hackers can do what you're saying and target these super tiny niches that no incumbent's going to target. And I think what's really cool is the fact that it's so fast and easy to build these AI apps now because you're basically writing prompts. You're not writing a ton of like code that there's no reason not to have super specialized apps for tons of little niches, which I think is going to make it harder for anyone to get a bigger foothold with a bigger, broader company that's targeting more people. Like to your idea of like a Fiverr powered by AI, I can imagine a hundred different profiles of you know AI copywriters, but they all have their own little different flavor because they all have a different prompt. And essentially you could pick a different one. Like there isn't just going to be one AI copywriter to rule them all. Why would there be if you can make a specialized AI that could be super duper good at each individual task? Yeah, I think what, what what I was shocked with on my Twitter is like, it feels like almost no indie hackers is doing SEO. Well, SEO, mm. like we indie hackers, we hate marketing, right? And this is the mm-hmm. easiest way to A, find a product idea, B, launch a niche product, and then C, don't have to do any marketing for it because it just stands there. So that was like the lucky part I had with the profile picture uh, website. Like there was no competition on it. So I would just right. launch my website, get a backlink, and then just rank instantly. So you can find like, hyper-specific niches. You don't have to compete. You don't have to do marketing. And you you will just keep it because why would any other big company go down on that keyword for you? By the way, I was going to ask you that. You, you, you mentioned at the beginning of this call, actually, that you spend a lot of time on Google looking at keywords 
like in relation to, to a lot of these like the latest um, of your products on, on Postcrafts. And then you also, you don't, you know, sort of, you're not building cool AI to help you with your own processes. Like you're not necessarily like scratching your own itch. Like is Google is like, are, you know, keyword search and, and SEO, the thing that you use to find ideas? Yeah. Well, to find ideas, kind of. So last year I started trying to do this with the program, with programmatic SEO, like fit components, tail bits. Um, these were just completely based on SEO research. I was just searching all day, all week for ideas, what I could build next without AI because mm. AI generation didn't exist yet, and I had an uncompete. So what I'm gonna, what right. am I gonna do? Um, so yeah, I built based on that. And this time, so with the avatar race, everyone chose the avatar word, right? But there's no searches on it, so I chose profile picture specifically. So I got the idea before as in like something I want mm. to explore. But then when I w want to launch something, I also check hey which keyword is underrepresented, which is on the keyword difficulty of ten. And then use that in your domain name, in your titles. And this is like if you if you put my website in href, like I have a shit ton of traffic on all those profile pictures. Well, I know, and this is why levels, why Peter went down, for example, because there are no search on avatars. So once the hype is gone, yep. there is nothing sustainable in it. And the same with headshot right now, right? Yeah. I get I get hype on TikTok, I get backlinks, but there is a lot of search <laughs> on headshot. So you take advantage of the hype and then you build for the longevity the longevity of it based on the keywords what do you think yeah, about the future of being like a founder right like it's cool it's like it's cool because it's kind of like a, a golden mm -hmm. era for any hackers we're going to be much more efficient we can build much more but also the competition is ramped up way more people now can build apps that do very impressive things mm -hmm. any idea that's basic there's going to be 10 million versions of it in like two days um and so you're gonna to have to be super creative and even then people can copy you super duper quickly so like where where is the defensibility? Where are the moats? Is it all just going to be these fast cash grabs? Are there businesses that are going to be immune to this and that can stand the test of time? Well, the thing is, I have a I have a lot of competition with Headshot Pro and Profile Picture, right? But I think I have a moat. Like all my competitors with Headshot, they have a lower quality because I figured out how to make my own custom model that looks more real life using some other techniques. Like it's not just one AI. It's like 10, 20 AI stacked on top of each other. So you yeah. have like that is a moat. On the other side... If you don't want a competition, don't tweet too much about it. Just keep your revenue numbers quiet. <laughs> Pick a niche that's really boring that no one wants to jump into and just like be caching. Yeah. Don't come on the Andy Hackers podcast. Yeah. I mean, you've been through a lot, Danny. You sold a company. You have your launching products, it seems like every other week. Um, you're at the forefront of like these new AI image generation, photo editing tools. What's something you've learned that you think other Andy Hackers who are just getting started? I mean, people listening to the show, some of them don't know how to code. Many have never built anything. Some people are two years into a product that's not making any money. What do you mm -hmm. think they can take away from your story? Ship fast. Build a lot of different things to find what works. Um, and do SEO for marketing if you don't like marketing. I think those are, those are the three things to get you out of the slum. Love it. Danny, thanks again for coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can find your stuff? Is it just postcrafts.com? Yeah, you can, mostly on my Twitter. So if you go to twitter.com slash Denny Postma with two A's in the end, because the other one wasn't available. Um, I post there <laughs> oh, with why. everything that I learned. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually own the, other, I own the other handle. I just cannot get access to it. It sucks. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, just follow me there. And there's like a bunch of links to all my latest projects, what I'm working on. I'm sharing all my struggles, my learnings. Um, yeah. All right, we'll put you in the show notes too. Thanks again, Danny. Sweet. Cheers, guys. <laughs> 